this morning, um, my mind's been uh, on the, the subject of God's sovereignty. That God is the head above all. He created all things. He owns all things. He reigns and rules over all things. And basically, he is a sovereign God. He does what he pleases to do. And uh, we see in First Chronicles 29, packed, verse 11 is packed with some of the statements that I just made concerning God. And I just want to, by way of introduction, look at some of these scriptures which state the fact and a couple of facts about God and what he does. And First uh, Chronicles 29, First Chronicles 29, we'll start reading in verse 10. Wherefore, David blessed the Lord before all the congregation. And David said, Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come of thee, and thou reignest over all, and in thine hand is power and might, and in thine hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. Watch well, quite a statement about God. I uh, just noticed a few things in there. He says, all that is in heaven and in earth is thine. It means that God owns it all. We see the same truth in, uh, actually in the book of Psalms, verse 20, 24, verse 1. It says, for all that in the heavens is the Lord's. Let me go read that in Psalms 20. For verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. Notice that. The earth is the Lord's. Who owns the earth? Well, he does because he created the earth. He owns it. He runs it and rules over his creation. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. That's not just the he owns the earth. It says in the fullness thereof, he owns they that dwell therein. And you and I are dwelling in the earth right now. We belong to the Lord as his creatures. And all mankind uh, belong to him as his creatures. All the animals that exist are his animals. You go to Psalms 50, talks about the cattle on a thousand hills are mine. All the, all, all these animals, uh, are mine. He says in Psalms 50, let's just, since I made reference to it, let me go read a little bit of that. In Psalms chapter 50, he says, verse 10, for every beast of the forest is mine. Well, if that's the case, then he owns every beast of the forest. They're his. They're his possession as the creator God. He sustains them. He sustains the birds in the air, right? He clothes the field, uh, you know, with flowers. He, he, he brings rain. He brings, uh, all these things. The weather, he sustains his creation 
and he rules and reigns over his creation, and every beast of the forest belongs to him. All right? And what we're trying, we're going to look at, since he's a sovereign God and he owns it all, he can do with it whatsoever he wants to do. Because he owns it all. It's his. All right? We're trying, we're going to talk about the sovereignty of God today, which mainly, which basically means, just put it in my own words, God is, he's in charge, and he runs things. All right? He is in control, and he does things that he wants done. We see this in Daniel 4, 4.35, where Nebuchadnezzar, after he had eaten grass like an ox for seven years down on all fours, he said, he says that, he, he says that God reigns, that he doeth his will in the armies of heaven, and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stand his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? So God does what he pleases. But let's not, uh, we're, we're getting away here. I want to go back to the 29 verse 11 of Chronicles just for a moment to get a few more things. He says, He says, All that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. And I guess, we're, we're, I'll go right back to it, but let's go to Deuteronomy 10 verse 14. That says, Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens is the Lord's thy God. Here, again, we're bearing down on the fact that God owns it all. Okay? Everything in heaven and earth is the Lord's. The heaven is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and the earth also and the world and those that dwell therein. Psalms 24. Deuteronomy 10 verse 14 says, Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens is the Lord's thy God. They belong to God. He says the earth also with all that therein is. Alright? The Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. We had three witnesses which says God owns it all. It's his. Alright? But back over here in First Chronicles 29, not only does he say that all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine, he says thine is the kingdom. In other words, he rules over it. His is the, the kingdom is his. Right? Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. He's in the head. The kingdom is his. He owns all things in the kingdom, and he's the head of the kingdom. I don't know how I'm in better, more plain. I was going to say better plainer that could be. How more plain that could be. All right? He's the head above all. Both riches and honor come of thee, and thou reignest over all. In other words, he owns it all. He's the king over it all. He owns it all. He made it all. He created it all. He rules over all as a king, and he also reigns over the, over all of it. He says, and in thy hand is power and might, and in thy hand is to make great and to give strength unto all. All right? So that's his position as a sovereign God, that he owns it all, he rules over it all, and basically he does his good pleasure. In Isaiah 46, verse 9, it says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. How much pleasure does he do? Does he do? He does all his pleasure, and none can stay his hand. As we've already cited over there, Nebuchadnezzar knew by experience that God struck him down, made him eat grass like an ox for seven, till seven times passed over, which is seven years. 
And he came to himself. He praised the Most High God. Said God works his will in the armies of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. In words, other, and, and no man can stay his hand or say to him, what doest thou? Uh, God is the one who is in charge. He is the one not only that owns it all and he uh, rules over it, but he's active in providence. He's doing whatsoever he wills to do with his creation. All right? So um, there's other other verses you know that we could that we could look at um, about how God not only is it own it all, he rules over it all. He's actually ruling. He's actually doing stuff. He is God is active. God didn't just wind this world up with a little clock, you know, and and gears and stuff, and just let it be working on its own. And he takes off to another part of the universe. God is in the heavens, and he hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. All right. That's actually a, a, a scripture. I think that's Psalms 115, verse 3. Our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. God created man with upright, walking on two legs, because that's how God wanted to create man. He made a dog on all fours because he wants a dog walking on all fours, you see. And uh, he didn't make a serpent. Uh, he made a serpent with legs at the beginning, if you if you Bible readers know. But part of the curse was those legs diminished, and that serpent goes around on his belly now. All right? That was a curse put upon the serpent over there in the garden. All right? God created things the way they are because he wanted it to be that way. All right? And the king's, it's also in the affairs of men. Uh, it says over there in uh, Proverbs 21, verse 1, the, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord as rivers of water, and he turneth it whithersoever soever he will. Uh, there's another scripture here in Jeremiah chapter 20, uh, 27 that said this. He says, verse 5, I have made the earth and the man and the beast that are upon the ground by my great power and by my outstretched arm and have given it unto whom it seemeth meet unto me. All right? He gives it to whom it seemeth meet unto me. And if you want to know what the context of that is, uh, the context is, and Jeremiah is talking about the fact that God placed Israel and all these other countries under the reign and rule of a man named Nebuchadnezzar, king of the Chaldean, Chaldeans, all right, the Babylonians, as a judgment. See, God sent judgment upon his people. And they went into captivity for 70 years. Somebody might say, well, you know, I don't know if I like that. Well, I'm sure they didn't like that. But God doesn't just do what we like. Our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. And he's a sovereign God. If we look over here in Psalms, again, Psalms 135. All right, Psalms 135, verse 6. Verse 5 says, For I know that the Lord is great, and that our Lord is above all gods, little G-O-D-S. For I, he says, Whatsoever the Lord pleased, that did he in heaven, and in earth, and in the seas, and in all deep places. All right. Whatsoever the Lord pleased, that did he in heaven, in earth, the sea, and all deep places. That kind of covers about everything, doesn't it? 
God does what he wants to, when he wants to, and how he wants to do it because he has power and he reigns over his creation. And he can meet it out to whomsoever he wants. All right? Psalm 75 says that promotion cometh not from the east or the west, but God sets up one and he brings one down providentially. All right? God is working. He rules and reigns among the inhabitants of the earth. That's us. And he does his will. Why? Because he's God. He's God. And whatsoever the Lord please that he does that in heaven, he does his will in heaven, he does his will in earth, in the sea, and in all deep places. And I'm not sure what those deep places are, but it must be different than the sea. Because he adds four. The heaven, the earth, the sea, and all deep places. That's probably the re- deep recesses of space. I don't know. But there's deep places. If you can't have everything, you know, if you don't think it's summed up with the heaven, he's done whatsoever in the heavens, the earth and the sea, uh, you know, and the deep places. All right? Now, there's lots of folks that don't like the fact that God does his will in the armies of men. And if there's anybody that doesn't like God's arrangement, how he runs things. I guess we could go somewhere else, have be our own God and have our own universe. Or could we do that? Say, of course not. But God has an arrangement of what he does. And we can't escape it. You know, I'm not going to go into... Uh... So we set forth a bunch of scriptures, right? How God's in charge. God rules, he reigns, he oversees, he, you know, we could go to another one in Nehemiah 9, 6, talks about he, how he sustains his creation providentially. Alright? I just want to look though today at some examples that show that examples that anybody can understand. We don't have to get into deep theological language, we just need to see how God has manifested his sovereignty. So we're going to look at some examples. And I'm going to know, you say, well, why, why is this important? This is a very important subject. To realize that God owns it all, that he works among the inhabitants of the, you know, he does his will among the inhabitants of the world, right, of the earth, and he does his will. You say, why is that important? Because I guarantee you, mankind really doesn't like that arrangement. Because we we want, what we really want is, we want God to do things the way we want him to. That's right. And we don't understand that God's in control. We need to bow our knees, knees to the sovereignty of God in our lives. The sovereignty of God over situations. And you know just as well as I do, there's people that are real angry. They get real mad at God when God doesn't do what they want God to do. I've seen a lot of bitter spouses, men and women, that maybe lost their spouse. Their spouse got cancer and died. I prayed to the Lord that he would spare my wife, and he didn't do it. And they're bitter at God. Why? Why? Because they didn't bow their knees to God's will in the matter. 
God could have saved thy wife if he'd wanted to. Just like that. Not a problem with God. He speaks, that cancer could be gone. And sometimes God does stuff like that, doesn't he? No doubt, you've probably heard of folks that, well, you only got about six months to live. And they lived for years and years. God can heal. And that's why we should pray. The prayer, prayer of faith can save the sick. God can come. He's just the same great physician today that he always was. But it may not be the Lord's will to spare your husband, your wife. See, we get to thinking that God owes us something. You know, God doesn't owe us much but the wages of sin, which is eternal separation from God. Anything I get in addition to that is, is, is good. It's mercy, it's grace, it's a blessing. I'd like to turn and look at a few examples. Let's turn to Luke chapter 4. In Luke chapter 4, after the baptism of our Lord Jesus Christ, after his baptism in Jordan's River, he's full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan, verse 1 says, and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And I'm not going to read all this, I want to get to the point. He was tempted or tried of the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. And after that trial, uh, it says that verse 16 says he came to Nazareth. And it makes it look like that's exactly what happened. Right from Jordan, being tempted in the wilderness, he came to Nazareth. But the Luke leaves out a bunch that the other writers give. He didn't do his first preaching in Nazareth. You can go read Matthew's account. You can go read uh, Mark's account. He went into Galilee. He went to Capernaum. And he had and he and he did preaching there. He healed. He healed the sick, gave sight to the blind. He did all these things. Not in his hometown. He didn't start out in his hometown doing all these miracles. But he comes back to the hometown. And he goes into the temple. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, I'm reading in verse 16, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there were delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he found open in the book where it was written, the, uh, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book. And he gave it again to the minister, and he sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Says he began to say unto them. I think he may have said some other things to there. Because it says he began to say some things. But when he got finished. What was the reaction of these people? 
Verse 22. And all bear them, bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is not this the son of Joseph? They were marveling at this great preaching that just happened. And then he told them a couple other things. And after about a couple of instances and things he told them, they weren't wondering at the gracious words that came out of his mouth anymore. You know what they wanted to do? They tried to kill him. They wanted to take him up and kill him. They were filled with wrath. Look at verse 28. And when all they that are in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of their city and led him into the brow of the hill upon which their city was built, that they might cast him down headlong. Boy, isn't that a change? They were wondering at the gracious words that proceeded out of his mouth. And then some other words proceeded out of his mouth. And they were wroth and ready to kill him. What did what make the difference? It was the content of what he said. He told them. Because it has to do with the fact that God's in charge. And God runs things. And he does whatsoever he please. Is in heaven, the earth, and the sea, and everywhere else. God's a sovereign God and he does his will. Whatever he wants to do, that's what he does it. That's what he does. All right, let's, let's keep on. All right, what did he say specifically? Well, they came to him and said, after they wondered his gracious words, and said, is this not this, the son of Joseph? Verse 23, he said unto them, ye will surely say unto me this proverb, physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in thy country. And he said, Verily I say unto you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. Alright? Other, other gospels say that a prophet's not without honor, save in his own country among his own kindred. Now, I, I, y'all, y'all surely understand what that means. You know, like, he grew up in Nazareth. And, uh, sometimes when you grow up in a place, I remember my, you know, you're not recognized for what you are. Because, you know, I was pastoring a church one time and, uh, I had, uh, I had some, my dad's cousins, which were my cousins too, but they're like a lot older than me. They knew me from a little boy. And another preacher told me, he said, well, you know, you're trying to pastor these folks, but just remember, you'll always be little Vince to brother and sister so and so. I understand that. <clears throat> Prophet's not accepted in his own country among his own kindred. You get the idea? My dad had to, uh, he was a veterinarian. He set up practice and he grew up in Perryton, Texas. He set up, he went to college. He's a veterinarian, Dr. Hardy. He went back to the hometown to set up shop with another vet that was there. Some of these old people who know, who, who know Ernest Hardy when he was like knee high to a grasshopper, as the saying goes. Seen him grow up. They called up needing help, you know, some vet work. That's like, oh, get us that. I want the real doctor, not Ernest. <laughs> All right? You get the idea. Jesus is saying a prophet's not without honor except in his own country, among his own kindred, you see. And he said, I'm not going to. And, then, and then, then here's what made him mad. Basically, he was saying, Surely you'll say, do here 
What we've heard you do in Capernaum, do here in your own country. They wanted him to do these miracles there so they could see it. Not just hearsay, they wanted to see it. You know what? They didn't get what they wanted. Because he didn't do any miracles there. And it made them mad. Here's the people that got mad because they wanted the Lord to do something and the Lord said, nope, I'm not going to do it. And it made them fight mad. But he threw in, he added insult to injury, as the saying goes, because he brought up some examples showing the sovereignty of God. All right, let's look at these examples. He said, verse 25, he says, But I tell you the truth. Many widows were in Israel in the days of Elias. That's Elijah. That's the New Testament rendering for the word Elijah. Okay. He says, There were many widows in Israel in the days of Elias, when heaven was shut up three years and six months, when great famine was throughout all the land... But unto none of them was a lie sent, save unto Sarepta, a city of Sidon, unto a woman that was a widow. And if you want to know what that's talking about, we go to go to 1 Kings chapter 17. Turn with me to 1 Kings 17. This is Elijah the Tishbite. This is Elijah that it says that the, over there in James, we tried to speak on not long ago about prayer. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elijah was a man with like passions like you and me, but he rained, he prayed that it not rained three and a half years, and it didn't rain. Then he prayed again and it rained. This is that Elijah. And this is in a day where you had a wicked king named Ahab, which wrought, he set his heart, the Bible says, set his heart to work wickedness more than any other king. Now, he was number one in his category, not a category you'd like to be in. All right? And Elijah says, verse 17.1, And Elijah the Tishbite, who was an inhabitant of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. It didn't rain for three and a half years, nor was there any dew on the ground. All right? We, we try to look at examples in our Bible study this morning about how God intervened and God was controlled and commanded, you know, various things about animals. Well, my friends, who do you think holds the key to the rain coming down? It's God. He can cause it to rain on this patch and not on another. Uh, or he can make it where it doesn't rain anywhere. Or he can make it rain 40 days and 40 nights and bring a flood upon the earth. Who's in control of all those things? God is in control of all those things. All right? That's why we pray to the Lord for rain, don't we? Because he's the one that can give it, and he's the one that can hold it back. All right? He says here, there should be no rain these years. And the word of the Lord came in him, verse 3, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. Here's God's sovereignty over these ravens. He, com ravens. he commanded them to feed Elijah. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. For he went and dwelt by the book Cherith, that is before Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning and bread and flesh in the evening. And he drank of the brook. 
And that's real interesting. I find that very interesting. I'm going to have to think about this some more, but I find that very interesting. Here is the dietary plan of God for Elijah. You know, sometimes you get in an assisted living or in a nursing home or whatever. They have dietitians there. They prepare what you're going to eat. It's interesting that he provided bread and flesh in the morning and in the evening. And what really stood out as I was reading this week, it just hit me like a ton of bricks that he only gave him two meals a day. We think we got to have three, don't we? Maybe that's why I'm <clears throat> way a little heavier than I do. You know, this Western mindset, you got to have three meals a day. I mean, God gave him two meals a day. You just think about that. I'm still thinking about running through that mind. I just hadn't really thought about it. Elijah's at the mercy of God for food, and God provides him two meals a day. All right? Anyway, um, I might have liked that diet because I noticed that he didn't provide vegetables, and I don't really like vegetables, but I mean, I'm just saying. And vegetables are good for you, don't get me wrong. As a matter of fact, when God started this whole thing, plants is all that people and lions and bears ate. Right? When you go back to the beginning, he gave the herb and the plants for food. It was only after the flood that he said every living thing, you know, beast or whatever should be food for you. Anyway, going along, God fed him with ravens. Ravens fed him at the commandment of God. And, but the brook dried up. It says it came to pass, verse 7, after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Now, that's what happens, right? The lakes dry up. <coughs> Creeks dry up when you don't have rain. And the word of the Lord came at him saying, Get thee to Zarephath, Zarephath, uh, which belongeth unto Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. And y'all no doubt are familiar with this story of how that God sustained that woman and her son and Elijah through... I think it was about a year. It says many days. My center column says a full year. Don't know if it's a full year or not. But for many days. And she came, and he came up upon this woman, and, uh, and he says, I have commanded, first he commanded the ravens to feed him. Now he's a commanded a woman to feed him. Alright? God works his will in the armies of heaven among the inhabitants of the earth. Alright? God's a sovereign. He's going to command, he says, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. You see how God's working. And he says, so he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering sticks. He did not say, when he went to the gate, a widow woman. He said, the widow woman. This is the one that God had commanded to sustain him. The widow woman was there gathering of sticks, and he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to go fetch the water, he said, Hey, he didn't say hey. He said, what did he say? He said, he said, and when he came to the, he said, uh, uh, as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and he said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. 
And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel, and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I gather two sticks, that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. I mean, they had they were one meal away from starvation. Famine, remember, throughout all the land. And here's this woman says, I've only got these two sticks. I've got a little meal. I've got crude oil. And I'm going to go make this cake. And then we're going to eat it and die. That's, 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 that's what's on my agenda right here. And Elijah says, well, go make me a little cake first. Go make me a little cake first. And then make one for yourself and eat, as you've said. And there's a lot of lessons in there. I mean, she put the Lord and the things of God first, all right, made Elijah a little cake. But don't ever forget. You said, why would, why would you, why would you do that? If you, if, you know, things may get real bad in our country. We've probably never been in a situation like this woman. You know, I run out of food at a house, I just go to the supermarket, right? I go down to the grocery store and get a little of what I need, right? But what if there's no food in the grocery store? What if we don't have anything? And all I've got is a little bit for me and my wife. All right? That's all that's in my house right now, me and my wife. And we've got enough for one more meal. And we get a knock on the door. Somebody says, hey, won't you give me some food? You know what I'm probably going to do? I said, I don't have enough for me and her. We just got one more meal. You hit on down the road, buddy. Isn't that what most of us would do? I mean, think about it. You've got just enough for yourself, and you get a knock on the door from somebody you've never seen before, you don't know, and all of a sudden, give to me. Oh, sure. I think most of us probably, you know, say, you know, <laughs> no. But you got to remember, the Lord was in this matter. Because the Lord had commanded the widow. Now, I don't know what information that he gave the widow, but the Bible says that God commanded the widow to sustain Elijah. And you know the story. Now, I'm not going to keep going, but, but you know, that, that little meal never ran out, did it? That little oil, that oil never ran out. The point is, you know, that's what happened. That's what Jesus, let's go back to John, Luke, that's what Jesus is referring to. If you hadn't read the story, hopefully you knew that, that account. But the point of the whole matter, Jesus makes it very clear of what he's communicating in Luke chapter 4. He says, I tell you of a truth. Notice how he starts it. He says, I tell you of the truth. There were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah. But unto none was he sent unto this woman of Sidon. And see, he didn't, he didn't send Elijah to that family to bless that widow and her son through this famine continually with that little mill and oil that kept coming day by day. He didn't do that because she was a great mother in Israel of great faith. No. This was not even an Israelite. She was a Gentile. Do you know how the Jews saw Gentiles? They're like dogs. They're like the refuse. They wouldn't even have company with a Gentile. 
You remember though there and, and you'll read in Galatians chapter about chapter two how that how that uh, uh, Peter was over here you know with the Gentiles and and Paul came in and, and people from Jerusalem came and saw him and he, he he got away from those Gentiles. You remember Peter? He had to be learn the lesson there in Acts to go preach to down to Joppa to Cornelius because you know it says you know go. Says not so, Lord. I'm not going down there. It's the Gentiles. The message is what God has cleansed, call not that common unclean. You remember that? God had to do a lot with Peter to get him down there to preach to these Gentiles because Jews didn't have anything to do with Gentiles. And now the Lord is standing up and he's saying, Look, listen, don't you know there was lots of widows back in the day when there's famine throughout the whole country? A lot of Israel. Israelite widows over there that God could have sent Elijah to to sustain in this famine and the time of starvation and he didn't do it. He didn't even send them to any of these widows in Israel. He sent them to this little Gentile woman of Sidon. You say, why did he do that? Because he's God. He decided he was going to bless this one and not all the widows of Israel. And I'm going to tell you what, he, he bypassed or did not sustain all the widows of Israel like he did Elijah because he's God and he didn't have to apologize to any of those widows. You hear me? He didn't have to apologize because he's God. He runs things. He decides. He says, I'll have mercy upon whom I'll have mercy. I'll have compassion upon whom I'll have compassion over the Roman letter, chapter 9. God is God. He's, he's telling these Jews over there, you want me to do all these miracles right here? Not going to do it. <clears throat> Just like I didn't come to the Israelites and bless all these widows the way I blessed this Gentile woman. And then he goes on and he says, to add insult to injury, I'd say, he says, verse 27, gives another example. He says, there were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elias, which is Elisha. And he said, and none of them was cleansed, saving name in the Syrian. And I'm, gonna, I'm not going to go over there for sake of time, but you can go to 2 Kings 5. And you can read how name in the Syrian. God, because he's God, he went over there and he blessed this man to be cleansed of leprosy. You say, well, maybe he was a great man in Israel. No, he wasn't a great man in Israel. He wasn't even an Israelite. He was a Syrian. You say, well, maybe he was of some great well-to-do. He was a soldier. Well, maybe he was a good friend of Israel. It's why the Lord came and cleansed him of his leper leprosy. No, that wasn't it either. He was a man that fought against Israel. And God's going to bless a person who was an enemy to the Israelites? Yeah, he was an enemy to the Israelites because you know how he knew there was a prophet over there in Israel that could heal him of his leprosy? is because one of his raids there he against Israel, he had captured a little maid, a little Israelite woman that was made to his wife. She was basically a, a, a slave. He had this little slave maiden who served his wife and that little maid said, would to God, my Lord, that is this Naaman, would to God that you were in Israel because there's a prophet over there that could cleanse you of your leprosy. That's how he found out about it. 
And through a series of events where letters were sent, Naaman went over into that country. And he came there. And Elijah sent the remedy for his leprosy of how he could be cleansed. You say, well, maybe he was just of great faith. No, Naaman didn't have a lick of faith. Because when Elijah, the prophet of God, says, go dip yourself seven times in Jordan, Naaman got mad. He said, weren't there better rivers over in my own country? I'm not going to dip. What do you want me to dip in Jordan? I got better rivers over here. That's my own language. No, he didn't have a lick of faith. And his servant, Naaman's servant, finally convinced him, you know, well, if he'd have told you to do some great thing, wouldn't you have done it? Just go do it. So he went and did it. And God cleansed him of his leprosy. It wasn't because he was a friend of Israel. It wasn't because he was a great man of faith. Simply because God chose to do it. You know what? You know why it was done? Because God does His will in the armies of and among the inhabitants of the earth. Whatsoever the Lord pleased, that's what He does. You see, and it pleased the Lord, the sovereign God who owns all things, runs all things. It it pleased Him to single out this one that's not even an Israelite and and to grant him a blessing of being cleansed from leprosy. That was a dreaded disease in that day. It's still dreaded today. We just don't have the problem like we used to. Right? There were many lepers in Israel in the days of Elisha. That's what Jesus is telling the home folks there at Nazareth. You know, there's lots of lepers over there. But God sovereignly chose to cleanse just one person. And guess what? It wasn't any of the Israelites. It was an old Gentile Syrian uh, military man. I'm going to tell you, God didn't have to apologize to any other lepers. You know why? Because God's not under obligation to save us from leprosy. God's not under obligation to, to, to heal us of cancer. He's not under obligation to do that. I'll tell you this, he's not even under obligation to, to give us long, healthy life. There's no obligation of God to make us healthy, wealthy, and, you know. No. I, I think sometimes about a man named Ananias and Sapphira. Acts chapter 5, they were guilty of lying to the Holy Ghost. God struck them down dead. Just like that. And God doesn't owe them an apology. I mean, God can bring judgment like that. If I lie. Do you know that? You say, yeah, that happened, didn't it? Yes, it did. I remember one time concerning Elisha, you can look back in Kings chapter 4. After Elisha, you remember, he went up in a whirlwind and uh, his mantle fell off and Elisha took it, you know, and, and all that. There were some kids over there that came mocking Elisha. And they were saying, go up, bald head, go up, bald head, go up, go up. And it says they were mocking him. He turned and cursed them in the name of the Lord. And a couple of she-bears came out of the woods and tear them and destroyed them. Forty-two kids lost their life. And I'm going to tell you what. God doesn't owe an apology.
Psalms 145, verse 17 says, The way of the Lord is righteous. He, the Lord is righteous in all His ways and holy in all His works. He owns it all. Alright? He even owns us. But God didn't have to apologize to any of the widows in Israel. Nor to any of the lepers in Israel. This is just a display of God's sovereignty. And I want you to see this very clearly. Alright? I know we talked about a lot of details, but here's the big, here's the big thing I want us to think about. They wanted God to do something different. Jesus Christ, God manifest in the flesh. He said, nope, we're not going to do it. And he gave some examples about how that God in his sovereignty saw fit to send forth a blessing, not even upon the Israelite lepers or the Israelite uh, widows, but God saw fit to bless these old uncircumcised Gentiles. Now, you would think if you're an Israelite, because that's God's people, right? In the Old Testament, God, we'd expect God to bless them. Well, that's our expectation. God can do what He wants to. Why? Because He's God. He's God. If we, now let's turn to, uh, let's turn to Matthew chapter 20. And to actually to make sense of Matthew chapter 20, there's a parable. The kingdom of heaven is likened to a man that is a householder which went out to early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. And when he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And went out about the third hour and saw others idle, standing idle in the marketplace. And said unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right I will give you. And they went their way. Again, he went out about the sixth and ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing idle, and saith unto them, Why stand ye here all day idle? They said unto him, Because no man hath hired us. And he saith unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right ye shall receive. All right, so this is a, a very common thing. These were day laborers, right? I mean, we have a, I'm, I could, you come to Bryan, some, Texas sometime, I'll show you the, the place in Bryan where you had day laborers assembled. Uh, if you need someone there to help you roof a house, or do construction or dig a hole, there's day laborers there and people use them all the time. They go and they pick them up and they go labor that day and they pay them. All right, that's what they did in the old time. All right, they had day laborers. And he went out early in the morning. He says, come work in my vineyard. And then he went back about the third hour. It would be about like our 9 o'clock. And then he went back like our 12 o'clock. And about our 3 o'clock. And finally, he went back at the 11th hour, which would be like our 5 o'clock. End of the day 6, right? And so he hired these people at all the various times. But he uh, agreed with the ver- ones that started out early in the morning, about 6 a.m., what did he do? He They agreed for a penny. You work in my vineyard all day, I'll give you a penny. But he's hiring people throughout the day. He says, you go work in my vineyard, I'll give you what's right at the end of the day. So what happened? What happened? Well, we see here in verse 8, 
So when the evening was come, the Lord of the vineyard saith unto his steward, Call the laborers and give them their hire, beginning from the last unto the first. And I'm going to tell you there's some of these men got real upset at the Lord. Now that might, this might, the very fact that you didn't get paid first might ruffle your feathers a little bit. You've been working all day. Here's some people just been working an hour and you're going to pay them first. That kind of rub you further on way, you know. But it got worse than that. Because those that started and only worked one hour, they gave them a penny for working an hour. And so those that have been working all day long figured, well, you know, they got a penny. They, you know, we're going to get something more. We're going to get something more. Well, you know what happened? When they came that were hired about the 11th hour, verse 9, they received every man a penny. But when the first came, they supposed that they should have received more. And they likewise received every man a penny. And when they had received it, they murmured against the goodman of the house, saying, These last have wrought but one hour, and thou hast made them equal unto us, which have borne the burden and heat of the day. You've made them the same. You paid those people that's only worked an hour or four hours the same as us who's been working all day long. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I do thee no wrong. Didst thou not agree with me for a penny? Take that thine is, and go thy way, and I will give unto this last, even as unto the first. Uh, even as unto thee. And here's the key. Here's the key in verse 15. He asked the question. He says, is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own? He owed them, He had the money. He paid the people. That went into the vineyard to work. He paid the same that had been working all day. The same as he paid the people who had only worked one hour. And they got upset. They got upset. Because that's not fair. It's not fair, right? We I hear that all the time. It's not fair. We're trying to tell God what's fair. God... Agreed with these servants for a penny. That's exactly what they got. He said, didn't you agree with the penny? I didn't do anything wrong. And if I want to give these, they just worked an hour. If I want to give them the same pay that I'm giving you that worked all the time, that's my business. He didn't have to apologize to them at all. He agreed for a penny. That's what he paid them. Just and right is he. All right? Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own? You know, we started out saying that God owns it all. God giveth it to whomsoever is meet to him. God does what he wants to, how he wants to do. And it was God's prerogative to do what he did in this circumstance. And just pay them a penny. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own? I'm going to have to stop. We can look at a lot of other places. Sometimes we try to dictate how things are and how they ought to be. Um, I'll just give you 
the words as I as I close. You know, there was a man named Eli. The perspective we should have is the perspective of providence and there's things. There's going to be things. We have our desires, do we not? We have things how we want them to go. We don't want our wife to die. We don't want our husband to die. We don't want to lose a child. We want things to go well down at work. We want a good salary. We want, we want, we want, we want, we want, right? But we don't always get what we want. And we should bow our knees to the God of heaven who's blessed us with whatever we've got. Remember Job. Lost everything. He says, the Lord gave, the Lord hath taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job sinned not with his mouth, nor did he charge God foolishly. You know, the Lord blessed me with those things, the Lord can take them away. All right? We have no guarantees. And Job also lost some children in that, didn't he? Lord gave, the Lord can take away. God doesn't guarantee us. Or our children long lives or healthy lives? Doesn't. But we need to bow our knees to the God, sovereign God of heaven who does his will in the armies of heaven and meets it out in providence. We don't need to get angry at God because I didn't get my way. You see, I'm selfish. I want my way. And it's my way or the highway. You got, it's gotta be my way, God. If it's not my way, I'm mad at God because it didn't get, I didn't get my way. Sounds like a little child, doesn't it? Throwing a temper tantrum. Didn't get my way. Didn't get my way. Lord, I wanted you to come and show these miracles in your own hometown. I didn't get my way. We ought to bow our knees into the Lord's way. Even when it's not something that's good. And I'll leave you with this. You go read over there in 1 Samuel chapter 3. There was a man named Eli whom God judged his house for the sins of his son. He knew what his sins were doing. They were fornicating with women coming there to the offering unto God. They were doing some other stuff too. They lay with the women that come with offerings, all this stuff. And he says he restrained. He's, God says, I'm going to judge you and your house because of the sins of your son whom that you know about, but you restrain them not. He wasn't the best father. And God said, I'm going to bring judgment. And he told that to the little boy Samuel. And finally Eli got it out, coaxed it out of him. What did the Lord tell you? The Lord said, he's going to judge your house because of this evil and sin that you know and you didn't do anything about it. Eli wasn't the best father in the world and he did wrong but I'm going to, I'll give Eli credit for this he had the right attitude because you know what he said when he heard that judgment was upon him and his house for his sin here's what he said he's bound his knee to the sovereign God of the universe he says it is the Lord let him do what seemeth him good we lose a, a wife or a husband or something. I just use that example because I know people that are bitter against God because he took their spouse to be with him. We ought to say, it is the Lord. Let him do what seemeth him good. May God bless you is my prayer.